0: Welcome to Pod for the Cause, the official podcast of the Leadership Conference on Civil and Human Rights and the Leadership Conference Education Fund at civilrights.org, where we expand the conversation on the critical civil and human rights challenges of our day. I'm your host, Ashley Allison, coming to you from Washington, D.C. And like we start off every show, we got the Pod Squad, where we discuss pop culture and social justice topics while bringing our issue areas into the conversation. And I have some amazing guests joining me on the Pod Squad today. Corelli Hernandez, who is the Regional Communications Associate at Forward.us and Dialia Vila, who is the Senior Field Manager at the Leadership Conference on Civil and Human Rights. Today, we are talking about deferred action for childhood arrivals, better known as DACA, and the oral arguments to the Supreme Court to defend DACA because home is here. Welcome to the show, ladies. Thank you. I'm so excited. Yeah, me too. And great opening song. Hello, very funny. Hey. <laughs> <laughs> All right, well, let's just jump right in. The Supreme Court recently heard the oral arguments on DACA, which the Trump administration rescinded DACA in 2017, putting hundreds of thousands of people who have been living in this country their whole life at risk of being deported. And there's a lot of emotion, whether you're an immigrant or not, about this. Corelli, like, what are you feeling about this case? What are you hearing on the streets? Like, how are people feeling? What do you think might happen?
1: One of the most important things is that people are ready to continue the fight. This does not stop. November 12 was the day that the Supreme Court heard oral arguments to determine if the Trump administration ended this program in a legal way or not. So Mm -hmm. this was not about the legality or constitutionality of DACA. A lot of federal courts have already determined that this program is legal and is constitutional, Mm -hmm. right? So... This is one of the many, many battles that we still have to go, especially because we're talking about 700,000 people whose lives would be impacted by this. They could be deported. They could lose their work permits. Many of them could stop going to school. Right. Mm -hmm. Many things that a lot of us may take for granted. Some Mm -hmm. of them even have driver's licenses thanks to DACA. So it's Mm -hmm. small things like this that in a way humanizes somebody. Right. Mm -hmm. When you're in a country and you can't have basic rights. And so another thing that is really, really powerful to understand is that there are 256,000 kids, U.S. citizen children, whose parents are DACA recipients. So if something happens to them, think about the
0: impact on, their kid. on the kids. Well, we know this administration does things that are detrimental to so many people. So I'm not surprised that they did it, but I do agree with the fight. Yale, what's your take on all this?
2: Similarly to what Carelli said, it's been just like another battle that's been happening for Many, many years, unfortunately, it's like sometimes we're like we get a tiny win and then we lose it. Right. So as a person that like comes from Arizona and being a state that's like very anti-immigrant in the Mm -hmm. past, I think it's just shows the strength that we have in our communities of not giving up because like we're here to stay like we say all the time and we're not going anywhere until like we get human dignity one of the things that we
0: learned recently in the news is steven miller Mm -hmm. who is kind of one of the masterminds in the trump white house we saw emails that he had that is directly clear that he is anti-immigrant is a white nationalist like is the problem in the world right and has access to the most powerful man in the world right now, Donald Trump, who is our president. And it's no surprise that when you have someone that is informing the policies in the White House, like a Stephen Miller, that you have a situation like DACA. One of the things, though, that I think is interesting is... It's important to hear about the policy battles that we're fighting and bringing to the forefront. But a lot of this can also be brought in through pop culture. And we now know that Netflix is releasing a series around Selena, which I remember. It's like one of those movies that come on TNT all the time. And like I always catch it (laughs) when they're like getting on the tour bus or when she's like has that burgundy Sequence jumpsuit oh, yeah. with the triangle like belly out. And I'm like, why will I never have abs like that? <laughs> <laughs> but you gotta abs. rock it anyway. Yeah. Okay, abs yeah. or no abs. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right, 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 right. But I got introduced actually to Selena through that movie because I think in a lot of communities, particularly like where I grew up in Ohio, we didn't have a really large Latino population, honestly. It was like more of just black and white. So, I mean, what does it mean to have something like the series Selena kind of be brought back to life and be on Netflix? I am smiling from
1: ear to ear right now because <laughs> I am so excited about this. So I remember that in college we talked about Selena, right? To me, Selena was just an iconic movie. But mm-hmm. then I went to college. We studied Selena, and there was a very particular scene in the movie. And it's her dad, Selena, and her brother. And they're basically talking about being Mexican American. Uh huh. And that to me was the first time that I felt so seen, right? Because we talk about, well, they're talking about how it's really tough to be Mexican American because you have to be more Mexican than the Mexicans and more Americans than <laughs> the Americans because you have to be proving yourself to some extent, right? Mm-hmm. It's kind of this thing where you don't belong here and you don't belong there and it's a lot of, you know, border crossing basically in our identities when we talk about it, right? It's about being bicultural and how do we embrace Both things. So I'm really excited. I'm a little nervous to be honest. Just I want to make sure. They better do it it right. Thank you. They better do it right. (laughs) So that's why I am really excited about this. And I'm so excited that to some extent we have brought Selena back. She was never really gone, but now we see her more prominently in our culture. And I think it's amazing.
2: I remember when I was a little girl, my friends and I, we would play like, who's a celebrity today? You know, like uh-huh. and I always wanted to pick somebody that was like brown or like had like a name like me. Uh-huh. And I have very few options. Yeah. <laughs> and like Selena was one of them. And I remember I would always fight to have her name. And uh, yeah, I remember like when she was shot and she died. I didn't understand, like, why the violence was there, but it was a tough moment. But yeah. I think, like Areli said, it's like, she's back again. She was never gone, but I feel like there's a lot of buzz around her name now, mm-hmm. which I really appreciate. Again, I think it puts the importance of just seeing somebody that looks like you, that speaks like you at times, that rocks, like, the red lipstick and the hoops, which mm-hmm. I love that, too. So I just, I just love her so much.
0: Yeah, and hopefully... A whole new generation of young, black, brown, white girls will see Selena and be reintroduced to her, but also open doors for other. There are many more Selenas out there Absolutely. that, you know, don't have their Netflix series yet. And making sure that they know that they can do it and bringing voice to various cultures and various identities is super important. You know? Definitely.
2: I mean, my children all know about Selena. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> And the only thing is, like, that concerns me, similarly to, like, I mean, Frida Kahlo died so long ago, mm-hmm. but, like, she's being capitalized so much. Yeah. And, like, I feel like we need to focus on her talents and, like, the mm-hmm. culture that she brings and yeah. not to, like, the money that she can right. bring to the market. Yeah, just, like, having a T-shirt with exactly. her or like that. Yeah. yeah, exactly.
0: Well, speaking of violence, we talked about this on our last show, At Tatiana, Jefferson, who was killed in Dallas, Fort Worth area a couple weeks ago while playing video games. It's a terrible story. We talked about it before. We should not ever stop talking about it. But we recently learned that just weeks after she was killed, her father died. And it reminded me of Khalif Broward when he committed suicide after being held in solitary confinement in Rikers. And then his mom died. Mm -hmm. And just how... Trauma has so many ripple effects, whether it is in death, whether it is in family separation, whether it is in trauma, whatever it is. It's not like a one time thing. It has lasting impacts. I don't know if you all want to say anything. It's such a heavy subject to think about, but then just the pain that that family must be experiencing. That heartache
1: literally kill you, Mm -hmm. right? And so it is really sad. It is really sad that you can't even feel safe in your own home. You're playing video games, minding your business in your own home. Mm -hmm. And even there, you can't feel that sense of safety. To me, it's really sad. And I think about it, right? Personally... You know, when my mom was deported, that heartache, mm-hmm. right, it's obviously not the same as the situation. But yes, to the trauma that people live with for years
2: and that pain that you carry with you day after day. The ripple effect that was mentioned that carries from like generations and generations, mm-hmm. which is very sad to hear because like also a lot of our communities is very like stigmatized or just very hard to access mental health as well. Yeah. And we don't talk about it enough. It's like the other thing that I feel like it's sad and just like makes me angry is that we talk about it because we should talk about it, but then we move on. Yeah. So like mm-hmm. what's gonna happen when we shouldn't stop talking about it? Like what's the thing that's gonna happen that's not gonna silence us? Yeah. Which I don't know the answer to, but it's just very frustrating.
0: I'm here with the Pod Squad. We have Corelli Hernandez with for it.us and Dialia Vila, who is with us at the leadership conference. We do what we do on the pod squad, and that's talk all the things that are happening in our world and all the issues. Thanksgiving is coming up. I love Thanksgiving. <laughs> I just love the food. I don't know. I'm just like having a moment right now. <laughs> <about something laughs> <the horses. laughs> I think your mouth is watering. That's what's happening. I'm sorry. I just like <laughs> No, like there's this oyster dish that we only oh get my. on Christmas and Thanksgiving. It's not like my mom can't make it other times. She mm-hmm. just won't. I mean, I guess I can make it too. Anyway. <laughs> not, the not the same. <laughs> not the same, right? Seriously. But it reminds me of like my grandmother when she used to make it when she was with us. But how do you celebrate Thanksgiving in your family? Like what's your favorite dish?
2: We, like, migrated from Mexico when I was around 12, uh-huh. so we didn't celebrate Thanksgiving in Mexico. So, for me, it's just, like, more like we have days off from school, you know? Yeah. So, we never <laughs> actually made dinner or celebrated until, like, we're probably, like, older, when I was in college, after college. Okay. Um But because my brother and I love to cook, so we just, like, let's cook Thanksgiving dinner. But sometimes we try to, like, put a twist of, like, Mexican yeah. Dishes in there, mm-hmm. so like we might have a turkey, but like with chili flavor or like Ooh, a chili beans. turkey. It's delicious. Wait, what, How do you do that? You put uh, it in
0: the turkey? Yeah, so you rub
2: turkey? it with like different spices uh, and things like that. Not like chili, you know? Like no, I know, yeah, like yeah, the yeah. chili, yeah. Like, <laughs> like a pepper. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> not
0: like uh, beans and ground beef. Right. Chili. No, no, yeah, Which, yeah,
2: yeah. Actually, I'm just kidding. No, um, <laughs> my favorite dish, I think, is the pecan pie. Uh-huh. Just because I don't you get don't to eat it. Oh no no. I don't know. I just oh. like to buy it.
0: <laughs> <laughs> what about you, Kareli?
1: I am a witness to the Ellie's cooking skills. I see her throwing down on Instagram all the time. Yeah, I do. I do. But definitely, my favorite is cheesecake. So mm. the reason why I love cheesecake so much is because my mom was always baking cheesecake. Year round, right? She Uh. was selling it to people at church. She was selling it Mm. to people at work. Like she was known, right? She was basically the equivalent of this pecan pie lady. (laughs) That was my mom with the cheesecake. (laughs) And so I absolutely loved it because it was on Thanksgiving, the only time that we could actually have it. And so, you know, my little brother and I, when she was at work and we're on summer break, we would be whipping up cheesecakes for her so she can sell them. But Mm. on Thanksgiving, we had the opportunity to sit there and actually eat Eat it. it. So for our Friendsgiving that's coming up this week, I'm making
2: cheesecake. You should teach me the recipe. I'll teach you. Well, I don't know. It's a little secret.
0: <laughs> <laughs> it's a family recipe. Yeah, she just has to, to make it and you have to buy it. I'll make it for oh, you. I'll yeah. make it for you. That's a good idea, too. Well, Corelli Dialli, thank you so much for joining me on the Pod Squad today. Coming up, we have a very special guest, Martine Batalia Vidal. So don't go anywhere. Welcome back to Pod for the Cause. Today we are talking all about DACA and the oral arguments to the Supreme Court to defend DACA. And we have a very special guest with us today. Martin Batalia Vidal is the lead plaintiff in the MacAleon v. Vidal case out of New York. He's a member of Make the Road New York and a DACA recipient. Welcome to the show.
3: Thank you so much for having me.
0: Talk to me about how you ended up being a DACA recipient before the case even happened, like what your experience has been like in this country and why DACA means so much to you.
3: DACA gave me the opportunity to come out the shadows. I was a step closer to make my American dream come true, which, as we know, being a document in this country, it's hard. There's not many possibilities. So I knew that once I applied for DACA, like I knew my life was going to change for good and I was going to contribute to my community. But like to make my mother proud, because I know all the sacrifices that she did, coming to this country and giving me the opportunity to have an education to have a better lifestyle. So I'm not only thankful for my mom, but I feel like it opened opportunities that honestly I would have never thought like I was going to accomplish. And having been the lead plaintiff in the law school and being able to go to school, being able to apply for a state like ID, having social security, for other people, it's like nothing. But for me, it meant
0: a lot. Can you talk about a little bit before you even applied for DACA? What was your life like? You talked about living in the shadows. Like, for someone like me who hasn't had to live in the shadows in the way that you have, I feel like it's important that I hear from you directly, like what your life was like before DACA.
3: My mom, she brought me to the United States at the age of seven. At first, I know my mother was here because my grandma used to take care. I was back in Mexico. But I knew my mother was here and that she would send us money every week. I was so young, so I didn't understand why my mother wasn't there with me, but I knew I had my grandma. I mean, I always knew that I was undocumented, but I didn't know what it meant. I was raised like every American kid. I had to learn the language, the culture, the lifestyle. At the end, I knew that my mother came to this country so we could have a better future. I knew that I wasn't born here, but I didn't capture it until I was in in high school. And I asked my mom, like, how come all my friends are having the working permit to work over the summer how come I can't apply she was like oh, because you're not born here that's when I started telling myself like what do you mean that I wasn't born here and that's when she told me she was like you wasn't born here you're not a U.S. citizen you're not a green call over that means you cannot apply for um state ID you don't have a social security to work legally in the country and I was devastated because I'm like I'm over here trying to
0: work do the right thing Yeah,
3: my mother was a single parent. So It's like, I always try to do my 110% in school, and I was always the top 10, elementary school, junior high school, and high school, because I was wanting my mom to be proud of me. And I accomplished everything that I wanted during those years. And now I'm like, once I get to high school, and you're telling me like all this work that I've been doing, trying to be an A student, trying to do everything right, and you're telling me that I can't do certain things. So I was upset at myself. I was upset at my mom. But I realized that, Honestly I would not be where I'm at the moment if it wasn't for my mom. And we're getting all the credit, like we're the dreamers. We're not the dreamers. Our parents are the dreamers. Because of them, they wanted to have an education. They wanted us to be somebody in life. They want us to have opportunities that unfortunately they couldn't have. They wish they could. So that's why people come here to make the marriage a
2: dream.
0: Well, I think you deserve a little credit because you won are fighting in an incredibly important fight. So You are living in the shadows. You aren't able to do the things that you want to do to get a job. You can't go to school and you're doing all the things that you're supposed to do, but you have this block. And then, under the Obama administration, DACA is put in place. And then 2016 happens. And so, you are able to come out of the shadows under the Obama administration. And then, in the first year of the Trump administration, The president decides to rescind DACA and put 700,000 people's lives at risk. And you say, absolutely not. And you become one of the lead plaintiffs in the case that the Supreme Court just heard. Tell me how you found the courage to say, I am going to stand up and fight for my place in this country.
3: It was a tough decision because at the end of the day, I knew that somebody had to do something about it. I knew that a lot of people were counting on DACA. As we know, you know, the age to apply for DACA was 15. And there was a lot of students that wasn't 15 at the time. So a lot of people came up to me, they were like, since you're already out there, you, you know, I was doing activism through my community. They were like, so what's going to happen to us? like, we are counting on DACA. To work, you know, I'm top-time in my school, you know, I'm trying to do everything the right way. And now you're telling me that I can apply for DACA? Like, it was, like, devastating because I'm like, how come I have the opportunity and how come they don't have it? So it was, like, inspiring me to do more than just activism. So that's when the do you want to be part? of So also, I'm like, I couldn't say no. I was like, hell yeah.
0: <laughs> that's right.
3: <laughs> I was like, hell yeah. And honestly, like, I always said it, like, before DACA, I was scared to stay undocumented. Because in my culture, if you say you're Hispanic and you say you're undocumented, People think that we're going to get deported. Even when I'm talking, like, even after in high school, like, well, don't tell anybody that you're undocumented because, you know, immigration might come pick you up. And honestly, like, with DACA, I was able to tell people I'm gay, I'm undocumented, and I'm proud of it. Like, so that was my whole thing, especially with the whole trauma restriction, you know, targeting LGBT communities, targeting Hispanics, targeting Mexicans. I feel like I fit the whole category. So I'm like, I'm gay. I'm Mexican. I'm not a criminal. They asked me to be part of this lawsuit, so, so, and I was like, "Yeah, I have to do for my community." Because I mean, we knew from the beginning it was a temporary relief,
0: and it's not comprehensive relief for all immigrants living here, which we actually want to get to a place where there are pathways to citizenship for more than just people with DACA recipients. So, you are a plaintiff in a Supreme Court case. You're in the courtroom fighting the case. Did you feel like the attorney was able to convince the justices? Like, was it tense in the room? What were you feeling? I can't even imagine what it might be like.
3: Well, I'm like, oh, my God, like, I'm really for the government. I'm over here, you know, not only fighting for myself, but fighting for the 700,000 juniors that are out there. I couldn't believe it. Like, I was, like, undocumented, like, myself, Mexican, gay, going inside the Supreme Court. I didn't even have words to describe it. The thing is, like, I knew that I was doing the right thing. And I was happy that, like I said, at the end of the day, DACA has come out the shadows. I came out the shadows, and a lot of people came out the shadows. and. You know, we were able to express who we are. When the judges came out, and I'm like, finally, we were in this fight for so long, so I'm like, I was really looking forward to see all the judges. And they were able to see us, you know, like, we're the dreamers. We're the one that is going to be affected if DACA is resigned. So this is one battle that we're going to win. And it was great, honestly. I mean, I still don't even have work to explain how so, because it was so for real. Like, I would have never thought, like, an undocumented like myself would be filling the government and was going to be in front row, seeing of the judges. Whatever decision they, they could affect me and everybody else.
0: As we wrap up this conversation, what gives you hope, regardless of what the decision is? Because you are fighting the right fight, and history will be on your side. But regardless of what happens when the justices make their decision, what is going to give you hope to keep fighting?
3: Like I said, my family, myself, when we were inside the court, Justice Sonia Sotomayor asked the administration if they had ever considered that decision to end DACA was a choice to restore lives. So by her saying that meant a lot for us, because she understands what it means for us to lose DACA, but what it means to our family, to the community. And at the end of the day, we're going to keep on fighting. Like, at first we started with DACA, then it was DACA TPS and 11 million undocumented documented as in this country. We're going to keep fighting because we need a broader... Program, you know, so 11 million undocumented could benefit from it.
0: Today, we are joined with one of the freedom fighters of our generation. We have Martine Batalia Vidal who is the lead plaintiff in the Supreme Court case out of New York to defend DACA. Thank you for joining Pod for the cause. You should know that you are not fighting alone. You have the 700,000 Dreamers and DACA recipients, but you have the whole Leadership Conference family coalition, me and a whole lot of people that have your back and will keep fighting. So thank you for being on the show today.
3: Thank you so much.
0: Coming up, I'll hit you with some real talk during our Hot Take segment, where I get a few things off my chest in three minutes or
2: less.
0: That my thing, that my rap. Come on, my Welcome back to Pod for the Cause, where we've been talking all about DACA, immigration, and the Supreme Court oral argument. And between our pod squad and Martine team Batalia Vidal, I have a few things to say. So this hot take will feel a little different. I'm going to give you some facts, and then I'm going to share something that I think we all need to hear. Because the reason why we do Pod for the Cause is not just to tell stories, but so that we actually know how we can take action to not fight just for the things that impact us, but the things that impact other people. So nearly 700,000 people's lives will be ruined if the Supreme Court does not uphold DACA to stay in place. But we know that it just won't be those 700,000 people. It will be their families also who will be fearful that their family members will be deported. You can still renew your DACA status. A lot of people think the program is over, but it's not. So if you're a DACA recipient and you need to renew your paperwork, please make sure you do it. And I know sometimes the financial barrier around DACA is real. So if you are concerned about legal support or financial support to renew your DACA, go to informedimmigrant.com. Now, that's the business. But let me just be real. It wasn't until August of 2017, which was just a couple months before DACA was actually rescinded, that I met knowingly my first undocumented person. I'm sure I had met other people, but... There was no one that ever felt comfortable enough to tell me that they were living their lives in the shadows. And I think that's important because I used to work in the Obama White House before that time. I've always been an advocate, but that meant I wasn't really advocating for immigrant rights because I didn't know anyone that needed those rights. I was advocating for policing rights and education rights, but I was not being a good ally to the immigrant community. And I'm a black person. And there's a lot of conversation about distrust between black and brown communities. But guess what, folks? We don't have time for that. We can't be afraid of immigrant communities. And immigrant communities can't be hostile towards black folks because the white nationalists, the white supremacists, they will win if we do not work together. There are black immigrants there are brown immigrants, there are white immigrants. DACA is not just a program for Mexican immigrants. It is a program that will save lives of people in all shades and colors. And even if you are not an immigrant and you are an indigenous person from this land or you're a black person, you have to stand up and fight for every DACA recipient and every person that might not even be eligible for DACA. Because if they come for immigrant communities, you better believe they're going to come for you next. So I pledge to be a better ally to immigrant communities, to fight for their rights, just like I would fight for Atatiana Jefferson or Michael Brown or Sandra Bland. I will fight for Martine. I will fight for Corelli. I will fight for Jose. I will fight for Jonathan. I will fight for Greysa because I know that when I need them, they will fight for me. If you're a DACA recipient or you want to help more people get their renewals or protect immigrant rights, please go to informimmigrants.com and please know that home is here. Thank you for listening to Pod for the Cause, the official podcast of the Leadership Conference on Civil and Human Rights and the Leadership Conference Education Fund. For more information, please visit civilrights.org. And to connect with me, hit me up on Twitter at Pod for the Cause. Be sure to subscribe to our show on your favorite podcast app and please leave a five-star review. Until then, for Pod for the Cause, I'm Ashley Allison. And remember, a cause is nothing without the people.